Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, these are God's words. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Christians should be forward-looking people. Uh, We already considered that to some extent when we were thinking about uh, tribulations producing endurance and how endurance is necessary to make us like Christ because our Savior endured. He considered the joy set before him uh, to be greater than the shame that he was currently in Uh, And so he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Uh, And so it is very Christ-like that we would be forward-looking people, that we would desire the end for which the Lord created all things, the end for which the Lord has redeemed us. Indeed, when the apostle talks about pressing on in Philippians chapter 3, a favorite passage of many believers who uh, feel like giving up or Uh, or are crippled by things that have come before, or perhaps uh, know the danger of their pride over what the Lord has done thus far, and they want to press on. Uh, They think often of Philippians chapter 3. Well, the reason he presses on is to lay hold of that for which the Lord Jesus has laid hold of him. Christians should be forward-looking people because we have a forward-looking Christ. And his work in us and uh, his securing for us all that he has designed and all that he has earned, uh, it's not yet complete. Christians should be forward-looking people. Uh, And so the Christian is someone who rejoices in hope. We have seen in verse 2 the Christian rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, He rejoices in something that is future, and he rejoices in something that is present, his current tribulations. Uh, The tribulations that the Lord is using to bring us to that glory for which we hope. There is a joy that we have now already, the joy in tribulations, a joy that will, uh, another joy that we'll be hearing about this evening in verse 11, rejoicing in God, the joy that we have in God himself already. And there is a joy that is set before us. That joy of the glory of God, that joy of being made like Christ so that we will enjoy the God whom we already have the way that we should. We can almost, uh, we can not even imagine, it's difficult for us even to believe that we will one day enjoy God like we should. It's one of our great griefs that we don't. But it is certain that we shall. Indeed, on the day in which 
Many who did not want God will get him forever. A day of wrath and righteous judgment. It will be for the believer a day of glory. For we will have him forever and we will be in his presence, body and soul, and we will be fully conformed then to our Lord Jesus. So a Christian is someone who looks forward to the joy that is set before us, which means that if we live for the present, we are falling short of our calling. We have a heavenly calling. We are to live in the present, but not for the present. We live for our Lord, and we live aiming at that which he was aiming at when he laid hold of us, and so we press on. But if we fail to enjoy the present, then we are also falling short of our calling, because it is the valuing of that which the Lord is doing through this present that gives us that joy, that gives us that rejoicing in tribulation. And it is the realization that we have God already that demands that we enjoy him already. What a dreadful thing it would be to be like Asaph in the first half of Psalm 73 and find ourselves so beastly that we could go through the theology of saying, yes, I have God, I'm justified, I have a right standing with him, I'm adopted, I have the status of an adopted child, the Holy Spirit has taught me to call him my Abba, and yet I am miserable. You can imagine Hannah's husband saying, uh, am I not more to you than any number of children? Uh, and is our God not more to us than any amount of comfort, any providence that we could desire? And so we must rejoice already uh, if we have God, even as we are forward-looking people. Justification by Christ's blood completely assures us that we have God now because God has been determined to have us from all eternity and that we shall have him fully and perfectly at last for all eternity. And so the verses that are before us this evening in verses 9 through 11 pull all of these things together and show us that we may rejoice in having a complete salvation from God past, present, and future. And this is a past that is not just the love in which God has loved and uh, chosen and de determined to have us as his redeemed children in union with the Son and dwelt by the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's not just the, the past in the decree of God, but it's actually past in human history. There was a due time we heard last week in verse 6, when Christ died for the ungodly. That which God has determined in himself from all eternity, he is carrying out on schedule. We have been considering that in part in the preaching in Acts recently, as God often does for us, bringing what we have in the one passage and what we have in the other passage and reminding us from both and helping us better to understand uh, both. And so we heard in verses 6 through 8 that Christ died for the ungodly, this uh, being justified by his blood in verse 9 of the first verse of our uh, portion tonight, 
uh, refers to Christ dying for the ungodly, verse 6. God took to himself blood. God took to himself humanity so that he might die for us, so that he might purchase us by his blood, so that he might justify us by his blood. This happened when we were powerless. This happened when we were ungodly. This happened when we were sinners. It happened when we were not yet. But even when we were not yet, we were already sinners, for we had sinned in our first father, Adam, as the apostle by the Spirit is about to start opening uh, for us in the second half of the chapter. We'll begin it next week, Lord willing. His blood was spilled for us when we were powerless and ungodly and sinners. His blood indeed was spilled for us out of eternal electing love. As the Lord continues to preach to us, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus who died for sinners, he demonstrates, remember, present tense, by what he did, past tense, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so his death was in a due time. It was at an appointed time. And since we know that our faith is a gift from him, we must draw the same conclusion about our faith. Our faith was at an appointed time. In God's electing love for you, dear believer, he not only determined the precise day and time at which the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, would hang on a tree and become a curse for us so that you would be there with him in that union with him and his crucifixion would be for your sin. He also determined a precise day and precise time at which the Holy Spirit, giving light to your eyes and life to your soul, would convince you of Christ as your Savior. He was determined that at that particular time, at that appointed time, you would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so the salvation, that part of your salvation, it's all necessary, isn't it? It's all part of your salvation. All that he would do in history to bring Christ to the world, into the world. All that Christ would do in his righteous life. That holy act that Christ would perform in laying his life down for his sheep. No one took it from him, he said. That was necessary, but so was your believing into him. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And having called you, having given you that effectual call, bringing you to faith, he justified you. We were justified. We were reconciled. There's ongoing effect of it. But... It's here in the aorist tense, which uh, if you know a little bit about Greek, then that is helpful to you. And if you don't, uh, just know that the difference between the aorist and uh, the most common, uh, uh, other, the other most common uh, way of speaking in the past is that the aorist tense refers to a completed action, to an action as a whole. Justification and reconciliation is something that has been completed. 
you are as justified now as you will be in glory. You are as reconciled now. Now the Lord often does show a fatherly displeasure, but it's not a fatherly displeasure because we've somehow been put back in the status of an enemy. Hebrews 12 tells us that it's actually our proof that we are in the true status of a son when he disciplines us. And so we have that salvation, that part of our salvation that has already passed. But we have that part of our salvation also that is in the present, having now been justified, he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood. He's not just referring to the fact that justification occurred in the past. It has a, it has a present, uh, ongoing significance, importance. This is one of those wonderful nows of Romans. Having now been justified, and we'll see in verse 11, another one of them, we have now received the reconciliation, and perhaps the most beloved or most often memorized Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't it wonderful how that tiny little word can bring so much power, so much grace from God into the life of a Christian, much more than having now been justified by his blood. Believers were brought into a status of righteousness and they continue to have this righteous standing. In fact, the apostle could write this now to the Roman believers some 2,000, almost 2,000 years ago. And it has been true for every moment of every believer's life from the moment they believed until the moment they departed this world and it's still true for them. Your justification, dear Christian, your right standing with God is uninterruptible, undiminishable. Just like your inheritance is imperishable and incorruptible in heaven kept for you there, your justification, your righteous standing with God cannot be decreased, cannot be taken away, cannot waver. It is like the, the light of God's fatherly goodness to us, which in which every good gift and every perfect gift continually comes down uh, upon us from heaven. And there is never any shifting or change due to shadow. He describes it in terms uh, of the, the brilliance of a beam of light across which no shadow never even flickers, ever even, no shadow ever even flickers. So also is our justification, so also is our reconciliation. Now, we are often forgetful of our justification, aren't we? Especially, perhaps, when, uh, when our conscience accuses us and the Spirit, uh, in His mercy, not allowing us to have a bad conscience, not allowing us to have a seared conscience, but one that is healthy and agrees with God about our sin. And yet we do not make quick work of repentance and faith and embrace the for forgiveness that we have in Christ, the cleansing of his blood, the righteous standing that we have before him. And we are not practicing the preaching and the listening to the preaching that the, uh, that the psalmist 
models for us, commands us in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless Yahweh and forget none of his benefits. If we are not to forget the smallest of his benefits, are we not then to constantly remember our justification? Should we not preach our justified status to our fickle soul? As he reminds us, teaches us, instructs us to do in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Why are you discouraged, O my soul? Why are you cast down? Why are you so discouraged? Hope in God. For I will yet praise him. He is my help and my God. And so as we seek to forget none of his benefits, we are to proclaim to ourselves, preach to ourselves, remind ourselves, instruct our own soul. Indeed, we ought to sing these psalms. And we ought to sing them in our families. And we ought to sing them in our congregations. Because it's especially when we admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that the Spirit comes and uh, and uh, fills us and he makes this, the word to dwell in us richly. And we need these words to dwell in us richly. And of course, that particular psalm, Psalm 103, is full of our justification, isn't it? The forgiveness of God, the removing of our sin as far as the east is from the west, his refusal to remember it anymore, and then his adoption, his considering us as a father does his children, his knowing our frame. And so we move now in the present blessing uh, from having now been justified also then to having been reconciled, verse 10. Or its counterpart in verse 11, we have now received, that other blessed now, now received the reconciliation. In fact, he mentions reconciliation three times. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, we were enemies, but we have been reconciled. But we have not been reconciled merely to the status of the ceasing of hostilities. We have not been reconciled merely to the status even of subjects or even of friends, but to the status of children. You see, the reconciliation has come not just through the activity of the Lord Jesus dying. Verse 10, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. That wonderful exchange that takes place in, uh, uh, as described by Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. How through the one Lord Jesus, we were reconciled to God. And we, having been reconciled to God through the same Christ, must therefore be reconciled um, to one another. But it's not just the activity of the death of his son. It is in the living person of the son. Notice the, the personal uh, condition or status or agency, uh, the, the personal place, location, 
of our reconciliation in verse 11. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, in whom, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Uh, this is a little preposition with the genitive uh, that often means uh, location in time or location in space or perhaps uh, mechanism by, uh, by which something has happened. We are reconciled in a person. You see, God did not just, uh, he did not merely say that uh, on the basis of what his son had done, that you could be reconciled with him. No, he granted to you to be joined to his son. And it was in his son that you were reconciled to him. So we are reconciled not merely to be restored to the status of creatures and subjects and friends, but elevated to the status of adopted children in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. How often you may need to tell yourself, you are justified, you are righteous before God. You may not be condemned for your sin. Oh, you must condemn your sin. You must hate it. You must kill it. And how much more you must do so as you tell yourself, do you not realize that you're the child of God? You're the adopted child of the living God, joined to Jesus Christ, counted as righteous as Jesus is, and being made as righteous as Jesus is. How can you continue to sin when you are counted righteous and when you are adopted as his child? Do you not see how he has loved you? This is the key, isn't it? To obeying him. We don't obey God because we feel badly enough about our sins. That's not how obedience happens. Obedience comes out of love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But loving comes out of being loved. We love him because he first loved us. And so in the present, we have been justified. We are in a right, the status of righteous standing. We have been reconciled. We are in a relationship to God as adopted children. We ought to command these things to our hearts so that we may rejoice in the Lord and not just re rejoice in the Lord when things are going well or when we are going well. We are to rejoice in the Lord always and he has given us in the present the condition of being righteous before him the relationship of being adopted as his children and one last glorious thing that we have in the present is not just justification it's not just adoption it's not just that we have the rights and the privileges of being his children but what is the greatest right or what is the greatest privilege of being a child of God? It is to have God himself. The best thing that you have with your daddy or from your daddy, children, 
it's not the inheritance that he is working hard to store up from you for you it's it's not merely the knowledge that he is doing all that he can to protect you and that even as a human father he knows how to give good gifts to his children and he disciplines you as seems best to him for your good <coughs> all of those are blessings that you have uh, a, a right to and that you receive as children of your earthly father but the greatest blessing that you have in your relationship with your earthly father is your earthly father we've been thinking about that this this week and last week in the context of marriage haven't we uh, that to have chaste desire for your wife or uh, for your husband uh, is not merely to enjoy the the pleasantness that god has built into marriage but it's to recognize that god has specifically chosen that particular wife for you or that particular husband for you and it's pleasure in a person and of course you know that that person is a gift from god and uh, and uh, chaste pleasures are always ones in which we enjoy god first and foremost as the designer and the creator and the giver of whatever good thing it is so that we refuse to enjoy it out of proportion or in a way that violates his his law because we're not just enjoying the pleasantness of the pleasure well this is the great joy of romans 5 verse 11 not merely that we will enjoy glory, not merely that we can enjoy already now the certainty of that glory which we call hope, not merely that we can enjoy our troubles now because they are means by which he is bringing us to that glory and means by which he shows us some of what we have hoped for already worked out in us. All of those are benefits. But the soul is to bless itself, not in the benefits of God, but especially in God himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Find your happiness in him. And as the apostle is pulling uh, from the past and considering the present, he realizes that we already have now God himself. Not only that, but we also rejoice present in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we don't rejoice in him as we ought to. And the, the souls of believers are at their death will be made perfect in holiness. And we will then enjoy him with perfect holiness. But even then, we won't enjoy him as fully as he has designed for us to enjoy him. Because he's created us to be body and soul creatures, not merely disembodied souls. We are those whose hope is in the resurrection, who look forward, even as the creation groans, to that day of our adoption that is the redemption of our bodies. Romans chapter 8. And so in our passage this evening, the apostle is, uh, is straining forward and teaching us to, by the Spirit, much more than 
He tells us twice, we shall be saved. Yes, there is that part of our salvation that is in eternity past, in the counsel of God, in the decree of God, and in history past, in the redemptive actions of Jesus Christ in in which he has accomplished our redemption and even has begun to apply our redemption. And there is that part of our salvation that we are enjoying in the present, whatever God is doing now, and even God himself whom we have already now. But there is also that part of our salvation that is yet future. Much more than, he says, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Future. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Future. A salvation that was completely assured from eternity and completely secured by the death of God the Son, by the blood of God the Son, shall finally be completely applied. And there is a day coming in which the completion of the application of redemption will be done. There's a day that he referred to already in chapter 2, in the second half of verse 5 into verse 6. In the day of the wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Yes, there is an accord between the deeds of the righteous and what they receive at the judgment. And there is an accord between the deeds of the wicked and what they will receive at the judgment. But we are not going to be saved or blessed in the last day because of what we have done, but because he lives. Look at verse um, verse 9. We shall be saved from wrath through him. It is in him that we will be saved from wrath on that day. Just as it is in him that you have already been reconciled, it will only be in Jesus that you are saved from wrath on the day of wrath. The accord between what he is doing in you now and what he will have completed doing then doesn't mean that you are saved because of what you are doing now. No, the righteous works that he has prepared uh, beforehand for us to walk in, those are gifts from him, but they are not the gifts by which or in response to which we are saved in the last day. And he makes it even more clear in verse 10 when he says, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, it is not at all because of what we have done, but because he lives that we shall be saved in the day of condemnation. It will be Jesus who condemns. But that brings up the question, if Jesus is the one who is doing the condemning, On the last day, as he asks the apostle in verse 34, uh, uh, chapter 8 and verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And so on the last day, on the day of the wrath and the righteous judgment of God and Jesus is casting people into hell. It is the one 
in whom believers have been justified. It is the one in whom believers who have, have been reconciled and adopted who is doing the condemning. And he will not condemn believers. He is already, even now, always living to intercede for us. And what is it that, uh, what is the conclusion that the apostle there in Hebrews 7, verse 25, draws from the fact that he always lives to intercede for us, that he is able to save them to the uttermost? He has been determined to save them from before the world began. He gave himself, he humiliated himself to become a man and gave himself as a man to save them on the cross. He has poured out his spirit and brought them to faith uh, through which they are justified and brought into the reconciled relationship of adopted children. And he will complete saving them. He will complete saving you. He is no partial savior. He is able to save you to the uttermost because he always lives to intercede for you and he will not take a break from interceding for you when he sits on the great white throne of judgment. Because even as he righteously condemns on that day, he will still be interceding for you, dear Christian. Much more, we shall be saved from wrath. We shall be saved by his life. This is what the apostle will be talking about in chapter 13, verse 11, when he says, wake up. Why are you sleepwalking in darkness? living for yourself and living for sin and living for this world isn't the amount of time that we've spent living that way and living for those things, isn't it enough? He says, awake, for your salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. And he's talking, isn't he, about that part of our salvation that is the, that is the object of the much more thans here much more than we shall be saved from wrath, much more than we shall be saved by his life. And so in our passage tonight, in Romans 5, verses 9 through 11, he's teaching us to preach these things to ourselves, to be sure of these things, so that we will rejoice in God so that we will find our blessedness in him and we will bless the Lord. And because we are still sinners and because our souls are feeble and fickle and unfaithful and cold, he gives us sturdy doctrine to address our soul. He says, don't forget these benefits. Don't forget your justification. Don't forget your reconciliation. Don't forget your adoption. Don't forget the intercession of Christ. Don't forget the certainty that when he sits on the great white throne, he is still going to be interceding for you. And he is going to say, enter into the blessedness of your master. And don't forget that you have God already. Not only that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Oh, dear congregation, 
May the Holy Spirit give you to be those who already now rejoice in God.